Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, just add to the list of players that Tom Brady has picked up the phone and called and they couldn't say no. Tom Brady, one of the most influential players in the National Football League. That's right. Before the Bucks front office even contacted Richard Sherman, Brady did. And he did that after they lost to the Dallas Cowboys 31-29. He watched his defense uh, on that team give up 403 yards and four touchdowns. He saw Sean Murphy Bunning get hurt, and he was on the phone to Richard Sherman. And as it turns out, a few weeks later, Richard Sherman... On Wednesday, flew in here on Tuesday night. By Wednesday morning, he had signed a one-year contract with the Bucks. Was at practice on Wednesday afternoon, wearing number five, and he probably won't. He most likely will not play in Sunday's game. He says he needs a week, but yeah, one-year deal, a million-dollar base salary, per-game roster bonuses that could total three hundred fifty thousand dollars, as much as two two point two five million he could earn this year. We had a chance to talk to Richard Sherman, and he talked about how influential Tom Brady was. He said that, look, um, I think, uh, you know, when when a guy like Tom Brady calls you, and we've seen him do this with, you know, wanting to make a deal with Rob Gronkowski, he contacted him, then told the Bucks about it. Antonio Brown was another guy that he pitched for uh, very vociferously and, and even had Antonio live with him. Um, but, you know, certainly – Richard Sherman is somebody that that, uh, he was interested in. And, you know, Sherman basically said that, you know, hey, um, it's Tom Brady, man. And and, and if Tom Brady calls you and you you turn him down, that you're most likely going to regret it. He said, I think when you talk to veteran players, uh, as Bruce Arians said, you're going to listen. And so he did. And he looks good. Look, he's he's 33 years old. Uh, He's a five-time Pro Bowl player. Uh, we're not sure exactly what he has left in the tank, and he's got to learn a whole new offense, and he's got to do that quickly. So the Bucks got a little good news. Jamel Dean was back on a limited basis in practice with that, that knee injury that he suffered against the Rams. So they won't you know, be as you know, depleted on the secondary as maybe they once thought. It looks like Dean might play. So that certainly helps them in this situation. Um you know, but but having Sherman aboard after about a week of, of getting his body back in shape, back in football shape, he's not used to this humidity, he played his entire career on the West Coast. He thinks he'll be able to go the week after this one. So it won't be available for Boston, but certainly uh, a big addition. We're going to talk a lot about uh, Sherman. we got college football coming up with Matt Baker. We'll have all the games for you. Florida heads to Kentucky. Florida State hosts Syracuse. USF is on the road again with their quarterback, Timmy McLean, at SMU. So we'll get into all of that. So getting back to uh, to Richard Sherman, um, you know, there's a reason why I guess he was out. And, and you know, part of it is is he didn't play much last season. He was coming off an Achilles injury. I think he played about five games. His best last last best year was 2019. 
uh, where I believe he made the Pro Bowl. So why now, why Sherman? And, and you know, really, I think that Arians likened it to Antonio Brown, you know, that this is very similar to the situation they had after week five of last season in the receiver position. You never want to get inundated or wiped out in one position by injuries, and yet they were mounting for them. Uh, Mike Evans played that game. He wasn't very good. He had a severe ankle injury. Chris Godwin was hurt. Um, you know, they were throwing to guys like Jadon Mickens and, and uh, Sarah Grayson and people like this. So they said, you know, what if we lose another receiver? This could really wipe us out. And they didn't have a great game to boot. So that's when they got on the phone. And, and of course, Brady had been checking for a while on Antonio Brown and knew that he was coming off the, you know, the commissioner's list with an eight-game suspension. And, you know, Arians really wasn't a Brown fan at that point. He had him in Pittsburgh. We asked him about him before free agency. He said, too much diva. Uh, but, you know, Brady said, no, I want this guy. I know him. Obviously, Byron Leftwich knew him. And um, and here came Antonio, and he wound up playing a huge role for them down the stretch in the postseason. And now he's back this year, had a good big game week one, missed, missed a week uh, against the Rams, which was unfortunate for them for COVID. Now, Brown will be back at practice today, and that's simply because he doesn't need any more testing. He's vaccinated. It's been 10 days. So after 10 days, when you're a vaccinated player, if you test positive, you can come back, which he will do, and he will play against the Patriots, a one-time Patriot for one game back in the day. So, you know, we'll, we'll have a chance to see Antonio out there. That's good news. The bad news is that his replacement in that game in L.A., Scotty Miller, went on injured reserve. He's got a, a pretty severe turf toe injury. That means you're likely to see more Tyler Johnson, who had his best game as a pro, over 60, I think 65 yards or so, receiving in a touchdown against L.A. So he'll get his chance to uh, to step up as probably the fourth receiver in that game if Antonio Brown plays. So, you know, they're getting a little more healthy on the offensive side. On the defensive side, they need help. The thing about Richard Sherman that, that you can't discount, um, and I don't know what he has, right? We don't. He doesn't know the defense. We don't know you know, sort of where his body's at. This heat is something he will have to adapt to. He's always played, as I mentioned, in the West Coast. I mean, he was born in Compton, uh, went to Stanford, played in Seattle, played in San Francisco, lives in Seattle. So it's a big sacrifice for him to be away from his wife, Ashley, his entire family, you know, for four or five months, uh, living on an entirely different coast of the United States, a place he has never lived or worked. So that's that's an adjustment in and of itself. What he will do, though, and what I think the Bucks lacked, and, and look, their their defense played very very well down the stretch a year ago, and their secondary certainly grew up. Uh, we saw that, you know, in the postseason in the playoffs, but they haven't got off to a very good start. Injuries are a part of that, but not all of it, right? What he will do is bring experience to that level. I mean, they've got experienced players on the front in the front seven, the defensive line, obviously in Damakon Sue, Jason Pierre-Paul. Shaq Barrett, these are guys that have played in the league. Levante David at the linebacker position. Even Devin White, of course, is a natural-born leader. But in the secondary, they're all just young guys, grave diggers or not. They're they're young grave diggers. I mean, they uh, Carlton Davis, of the guys who play and start, is the oldest, and, and he's in his fourth season. He's a young guy. And so, you know, Antoine Winfield Jr. was, you know, a rookie last year and had an extraordinary season, but he's still – only in his second NFL year. Uh, Jordan Whitehead is a young player. Um, 
you know, you can go down the line. Jamal Dean, I mean, he was drafted the same year as Carlton Davis. So nobody is, is has a ton of experience in this league. They've all been accomplished to some degree. But here comes Richard Sherman, you know, with the five Pro Bowls. And I, I saw this happen on a smaller scale with Darrell Rivas, who was here only one year. And it was a bad signing. It was a bad idea and all that. And he ended up making the Pro Bowl coming off an ACL. They signed him to one year for $16 million. Here's what he did, though. He had a huge impact on the rest of his secondary because Revis is somebody who's extremely his technique is you know is perfect. Um, he doesn't panic. He's very calm and, and, and he's very still in his stance. Um, he does everything the right way every single time, and he's always in position. He was never really out of position. And I think you know as much as some of these guys want to make plays, um, we saw you know a couple of them jump around. Uh, you know, on Sunday and Deshaun Jackson had a double move and he was gone. And, you know, that sort of stuff just can't happen. So I think that Sherman, who, according to Whitehead, was already coaching them, you know, one practice, they just met the guy and he's already talking to them about things and giving them pointers and showing them stuff. That's, that's what you're getting with Richard Sherman, along with a guy who wants to prove he can still do it, uh, who has an immense amount of pride, who's made plays his entire career, was great in Seattle, uh, played really well, you know, for the San Francisco 49ers when they went to a Super Bowl. Um, he's been part of a lot of Super Bowl teams. He's, he's obviously won a Lombardi, uh, a Lombardi trophy before. And his relationship with Brady is really interesting because it didn't always get off to a great foot on, on the field. You know, going back to 2012, really, when the Legion of Boom came into our consciousness, it was Richard Sherman who went up, up to Brady after a game, and he published that famous meme of him saying to Brady, you mad, bro? And the you mad, bro, not only was a meme, it became a T-shirt that <laughs> was a bestseller uh, around the football world. And uh, I asked him about it. I said, have you have you gone up to Brady and asked him, are you happy, bro? And he, he laughed and he said, you know, we haven't discussed that yet. He said, but, you know, we've always had a great relationship. And he said, in fact, he goes, a couple years ago, he sent me a jersey and he signed it. Uh, you mad, bro. And so they, they've always talked about how it would be great to play uh, you know, with on the same team with each other. It just never seemed like that was happening, right, that he would go to New England or anything like that would ever happen. But now with Brady and Tampa Bay, Super Bowl champions. And Tom Brady continues to be the greatest recruiter in the National Football League. And, and Tampa is now a destination for these players, especially the older ones. I mean, they have the oldest roster in the league. Um, but they found a way to get him in um, for a very reasonable amount of money, and I, I think when he finally gets on the field, he's going to have an impact. Uh, again, don't know how his legs are. He says he's still got some juice in him. We're going to find out. But, you know, it was really interesting to see. They now have, I think, four players, four or five players from the all-decade team uh, in 2010s um, with with the Bucks and Gronkowski and Brady, Antonio Brown, now Richard Sherman. So, just a remarkable collection of Hall of Fame talent. You know, guys that uh, are going to be wearing gold jackets one day. So, really something to see him out there. So, we'll be talking about the Bucks and their preparations to go to New England. Tom Brady will talk today. We'll hear his thoughts on Bill Belichick. I thought it was funny. Belichick had his press conference was glowing about Brady. Um, and there is a new book out uh, about that 
Brady Belichick relationship we can get into by Seth Wickersham uh, a little later in the week, maybe tomorrow when we preview the game. Um, but you know, basically, uh, it was funny because Belichick was asked about the offense that Brady runs, runs, and he basically said, you know, well, you know, it's the same offense. It's essentially the same offense we ran, almost a hundred percent. You can see every play. I, don't, I know every play, and. You know, and that's interesting, right? Because when he came here, the idea was he's going to learn a whole new offense, and it was no risk it, no biscuit, and it was throw the ball down the field. Not according to Bill Belichick. So when we asked Arians about it, he goes, "Well, I'm, sh- you know, they used to steal a lot of our stuff, and I'm, I'm sure the offense they have now is probably one they took from us." <laughs> so he took credit for that, but it was very interesting um, to hear them all talk about Brady and uh, uh, and Belichick, and and of course there'll be lots more talk about that going forward. So uh, we'll check in with Tom. We'll check in maybe with Rob Gronkowski. We'll have that for you. Uh, But right now, it's time for college football. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. All right, Matt Baker joins us now. And Matt, uh, the University of Florida played Tennessee. And my, oh my, I thought they looked pretty sharp. Uh, They're traveling to Kentucky. I don't think the Wildcats will put up much of a fight. We might get to see a couple of quarterbacks. But let's let's talk about their performance against uh, Tennessee, which for better and lately worse for the Vols still seems to be a, an intriguing game for the Gators. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me on. Tennessee is still means something florida tennessee does um you know mullen talked about that after the game just it's it's still a rivalry it's still something that means a lot to the the fans and and the boosters and what have you i don't think it means much to the players because they don't let's be honest they don't know of a time when tennessee has been really good you know florida's won i think it's 15 the last 16 or 16 the last 17 um they had the one year where florida was talking about the weird thing have you ever seen a duck pull a truck if you haven't seen a duck pull a truck then they, the Vols can't beat the Gators, and they went up to Knoxville, and the Vols beat the Gators. And anyway, it just hasn't been much of a thing here lately. Um, but Florida, you know, took it to them. Um, I thought that was Emory Jones's best performance. That was the game. You know, he, he played he played well against Alabama. Don't get me wrong, but Tennessee was when I was like, okay, that he's we, we got something here. If I'm a Florida fan, um, he he looked comfortable. And, and I could even see that in the press box, just the way he went through his progressions. When he was blitzed, he knew, okay, here's the where the blitz is coming from, and I need to do this with it. Here's my hot route. Um, just going through his progressions, making his reads, scrambling when he needed to, looking good while scrambling. Um, he looked very, very sharp. And that was, again, ten, Alabama, he looked, he looked pretty impressive as well. But Tennessee was where I really thought, okay, the Gators have a quarterback you know, we'll see what happens with Anthony Richardson this week. But the Gators have a quarterback. This is the Emory Jones that I think people expected to see with a higher ceiling than what we saw the first couple weeks. And, you know, if he play, continues to progress, he's a guy that can absolutely keep them in the SEC mix with a chance, 
I mean, it's not too crazy. I think they could make the playoff run. Right. No, I absolutely think they could do that. And uh, their game against Alabama, I think, proved that. Of course, their next big hurdle will be Georgia. We'll see how that turns out down the road. Anthony Richardson seems to be getting a little more healthy. Uh, is there a place on the field for him, you know, as well as, you know, in as much as he's not going to be the starter for Emory Jones, but but do you think that Mullen will begin to utilize this guy sporadically uh, as, as a weapon? Yes. Um, now, I don't know that we expected him to be out against Alabama and Tennessee necessarily. We um, Mullen's been kind of, uh, you know, a little coy in terms of the injury updates, which I, 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 you know, I expect that's how coaches roll, not, not complaining, not hating. Um, but Mullen said today, or, uh, you know, as we record this Wednesday night, he said that uh, Anthony is 100% should be good to go. So we'll see if that is indeed the case against Kentucky. And if it is, yeah, I would expect him to play. I'd expect it to be to some degree similar to what we saw in the first two weeks. You know, Anthony entered in the third uh, third series each time, then got some some action later on, and I you know I would expect it to be similar to that. But by, by the way, Rick, why why are you uh, yada yadaing over Kentucky here? Well, I mean, you tell me. I, I it's been I'm guessing it's been a while since uh, since Florida has lost to Kentucky. Am I wrong about that? 2018. Oh, okay. Yeah, that broke the long streak. Okay. Well, that's that, not yeah, that, that far that ago. Broke, that broke the long streak. That was Mullins, you know, kind of – he's only lost a couple games that he shouldn't have lost, I guess. That was um, one of them. That, yeah. was, that was one of them, and we can debate that because Kentucky was actually um, good that year. But here's the thing. Kentucky plays Florida tough. They did not play them particularly tough last year. It, it was um, – it was it was fairly close um, early on, and then Florida used kind of some some trickeration on a, I can't remember if it was a punch or a, a kickoff to kind of spark things, and they started getting going. But you know, the last couple times they played up there, uh, twenty nineteen was the game Felipe got hurt, and Kyle Trask comes in, and you know everybody knows what happened. But Florida was on the ropes in the second half of that, and, and if Felipe had stayed healthy, Florida might have lost that game. Um, a couple years earlier, it was a 28-27 game. Um, 2015, it was 14-9 with, with Florida winning. One of those, I can't remember if it was 15 or 17. The Gators won because Kentucky, on two different occasions, chose not to guard a Florida receiver, which was a very huh. bold strategic choice, I got to say. But they just <laughs> left guys open, and Florida capitalized. So, in Kentucky's undefeated. They're, they're still 4-0. They're not like a great team. But they're just kind of a typical, solid Mark Soup's Kentucky team. They got a good receiver in Wandale Robinson. Um, they got yeah. a good back. They're physical on the lines. I'm not saying Florida's going to lose. Yeah, I'm saying this. I, I, I would expect this to be a pretty competitive game. Well, listen, anything can happen in college football. We saw that last weekend. I thought it was upset Saturday around college football. Um, certainly, some some things changed uh, with some teams and. Uh, it could happen again, but I, I'm just not expecting the Gators to be that team um, just because of the way they played Alabama, and then they backed it up with a pretty solid win against Tennessee. But you're right. They're on the road. Weird things happen at Kentucky, um, not not of late, maybe 2018, as you mentioned. But I got confidence. I, I really, I'm starting to like this Gators team, and I'm not somebody that generally likes Florida teams all that much. Um I, I you know I, I think they seem to underachieve when they get right there to the precipice of, of, of playing and beating Georgia and going to the SEC title and winning it. 
that's hard to do with Alabama. But I actually I see great promise in this Florida team, and every week uh, they seem to get better and better. So I'm 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 anticipating they'll continue on that curve. I could be wrong. Um, the game you're going to, Florida State and Syracuse. Look, the poor Seminoles, zero and four now. Um, made it, I guess, the score a little more respectable against Louisville. But where is Mike Norvell's uh, situation? Do you see any light in this tunnel, this dark, dark tunnel that they are in? Do I see any light? Yes, I do. Syracuse is not that good. Um, look, FSU is still not a good team. They're not. Let, like, let's let's get the disclaimers out of the way. They're not a good team. We've talked about this. They don't have good receivers. Um, they, they don't have enough playmakers. Their DBs are not good enough. Um, their offensive line is not good. Um, their special teams has been mediocre at best. You know, a couple missed kicks, a couple missed um, extra points, uh, You know, some questionable punt returning stuff the other day. They're not a good team. However, I do think you can take a little bit away from the fact that they haven't now, you know, they didn't quit against Notre Dame when they were down by 18 in the second half. They did not quit when they were down 31 to 7 against Louisville. Now, let let's let's be clear about this. Not quitting is not cause for celebration. Um, you know, Mike Norvell w- was clear after the Notre Dame game or maybe it was after the Jacksonville State game talking about Notre Dame. That that's the minimum expectation. Like, hey, good job, you didn't quit. Yay. Congratulations. Whoop de do. Um, but FSU teams of the past might have rolled over, and, and FSU hasn't. So I do think that's a small baby step kind of thing as we look at how this program is developing, that maybe you think there's something there, at least in terms of how they're playing, even though they're still underachieving and, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, look, they still got a ways to go. Let, let, let's just be real. Um they they have a ways to go, and, and I'm working on a story. You and I have talked about this offline. Um, that, that'll be in, in uh, coming in the next couple of days on TampaBay.com, looking at what Norvell said in his introductory news conference and what they're doing about that. Uh, I'll just give you the quick hits here if you'll indulge me for mm-hmm. one moment. Yeah. Um, he's you know Norvell said I can tell you this is that this is going to be a program that's built for playmakers. That is a very Norvell thing to say. He always talks about a program built for playmakers. All the receivers have, you know, there's been two interceptions uh, or one interception each of the last two games in the fourth quarter when the receiver went up, had a 50-50 ball, didn't get it, the other guy did. They're not making enough plays. Um, and defensively, they have two interceptions, which is not that good. They've, they've got a couple pieces on offense and defense, but there's not enough playmakers or they're not making enough plays. Uh, Norvell talked a lot about service, sacrifice, and respect. Those are kind of the three pillars of the program, if you will. And if you look off the field, they're doing a lot of stuff in the community. All that stuff is great. Um, Norvell is adamant that how you do anything is how you do everything. If you're doing good stuff in the community and classroom, that will show up on the field. He's 3-10. and Um, Norvell's big on special teams and talked a lot about that in his introductory news conference. You know, and, and they've had a couple of splashes, but you know they, they haven't returned a kick or a punt for a touchdown yet. Why is that a big deal? He had eleven of the eleven kickoff returns for a touchdown in four years at Memphis, so the special teams isn't there yet. Um, playing smart, playing focused, discipline, all that stuff. 
they're one of the 20 most penalized teams in the country. And, and, you know, Kenny Dillingham, the OC, was talking the other day. If they had a running back lineup correctly on one play that went to the tight end, it would have it probably would have been a touchdown. And in an eight-point game, that matters. So I, I see, I can kind of see the outline of what he's wanting to do. But it's it's just not there yet. And, and it's going to continue to take time. And I think FSU is going to give it to them because they don't have a lot of choices. But it's, you know... I, I don't think they're going to go, you know, they're 0-4 right now for the first time since 1974. I don't think they're suddenly going to turn around and go 7-5. and five. I think if I had to put money on a record right now, I'd say 3-9. and nine. And I'm, mm. that's because I'm in a good mood. <laughs> oh, well, that's, that's, that's not uh, sobering. Um, well, look, they got the big goose egg right now. You certainly got to get off that. You need... You need a win. You know, every coach that takes over a program, and, and granted, Norvell and others, um, you know, Scott as well at USF, took took over programs during a pandemic. We give them a hall pass, whatever you yep. want to say. Um, yep. This year, not so much, okay? But they all stand up there and go, we've got to change the culture. We've got to instill culture. We'll change the culture. Let's change the culture. You know what the culture is? The culture is winning. The culture is winning. You can't change it until you start to win. Now, I know what they mean by, hey, we, we get up, we do things the right way, we do enough things the right way in the details. And, you know, I get all that. I've heard – we've all heard those the coach speak. But at the end of the day, those coaches are not paid to develop guys for the NFL. They're not paid for moral victories. They're paid to win. And yep. they need a win. And maybe one win leads to two wins. And maybe a little confidence, a little momentum gets going. I think, I think that you know games have momentum. And I think seasons have momentum, and they've got to generate some somehow, you know. And you thought maybe, you know, of course we all thought first game against Notre Dame. Hey, Notre Dame, pretty good team, good brand, tough game, should have won, great effort. Maybe they're back, and clearly they're not back. So they've lost that momentum. Now they have to generate some of their own. And um, boy, you know, far be it from us to expect them to to maybe go out and, and flatten somebody, but you know, just just get a win. Turn that, turn that frown upside down. I mean, we need we need something out of Florida State, man. Um, you're, you're 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 a thousand percent right. They have to show. Again, I think there have been some baby steps there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they've gotten a little bit better at feeding the ball to Jay Sean Corbin and Trey Sean Ward. There, you know, he's having a again, good we, year, Corbin. Yeah, he, he's having a great year. He's yeah. top ten in the country in yards per rush. He's a very good player. He's, yeah. you know, you talk about the, the playmakers that, that Norville wants. He is one. He's somebody you can start building around. Yes. Um, and maybe they were doing a little bit better about finding ways to get him the ball. And I think they're going to continue to do that against Syracuse. But they, the baby steps are, need to show, need to, to turn into something. If he's going to keep the, the program, you know, if he's going to look, let's be honest, if he's going to keep the locker room intact, if he's going to keep everybody in and around that program believing in him, it has to start showing up. And you know, I, I will if they if they beat Syracuse on Saturday, it's not gonna be like a proof of concept thing necessarily. Like, oh well now you know what works. No. Florida State should beat Syracuse every year, just about. Right. Syracuse right. is not should not be at that level. Especially a Syracuse team that may or may not fire their coach at the end of the year. Um but they do need to do generate some sort of positivity to show that things are going in the right direction. And, you know, only losing by eight to Louisville when Louisville did <laughs> uh, beat him handily last year, that that's not enough. It's going right. to have to start showing up in wins and losses. And look, as you look at the schedule, 
if if not Syracuse win, right? Well, the, yeah. If, where are the wins? Right. Exactly. Give me the wins. Well, I mean, it's okay. Well, they, they play UMass on October twenty third. Right. UMass UMass is worse than Jacksonville State. Gotcha. Let's be real. Okay. okay. If they lose to UMass, disband the program. Shut it down. Everybody <laughs> okay. go home. All right. Um, that might be a little extreme, but okay. That's that's um, two p- potential wins right there. Exactly. And then you start looking, where, where else is there? The ACC is mediocre, so maybe they can win at North Carolina or NC State or you know who the heck knows with Miami. Look, uh, I don't think maybe, Miami's good. I, I, I just – I could be wrong about be. that. They, I, I don't – I don't have a good feel on Miami um, yeah. because they, they got beat by two teams that I think are quite good. I mean, Alabama is yeah. obviously very, no, very yeah, good. That's true. Michigan State you, is at least good. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they almost lost to Appalachian State, which might be pretty good. Right. And, and I, I think Miami has a chance to figure it out. You know, They play Thursday night against Virginia. Yeah. They have a chance to figure that out and, and start going on, You know, at least showing that they're Season. you know they could they could still turn an eight and four season out of this and they would could be yeah they could they're two and two yeah or they could crater and florida state could beat them um that, that's just my point is that's where the acc is right now where it yeah, yeah i think florida state could knock off one of those guys just because i don't think you know uh jeff halfley former bucks assistant now right. at boston college he's got mm-hmm. a, a nice team they're undefeated mm-hmm. but they're not world beaters they're not gonna you know florida state could win that and i wouldn't be surprised so you you can Talk yourself into things turning around a little bit um, just because of the way the schedule is not as daunting as it looked uh, a month and a half ago. Yeah. Well, I know they're not going to probably beat Clemson, but even they are vulnerable all of a sudden, right? Not the Clemson teams we're used to seeing. That's for the, sure. Look, this is a, this is a year of w- without superpowers. Alabama yeah. is, I mean, Alabama is a, a very good team. Them and Georgia yeah. are the two best teams. Yeah. Aside from that, Everybody is the, the next tier it, to me is pretty bunched together, yeah. and they're all beatable. Um, yeah. And you know, we can. I, I've tried to kind of wrap my head around why. I think there's a, a bunch of reasons. You know, I think the super seniors is one. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like Arkansas and Wake Forest both have a bunch of super seniors, and that helps those type of programs. Um, I think the the COVID. 2020 weirdness and the the fact that a lot of teams didn't have a full spring, I think, kind of affected the development at your, you know, the the Clemson guys who are backups and now have to be starters. They lost an offseason of development where normally, you know, maybe they're a little bit further behind than they usually are. And then, you know, the 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 quarterback situation um, where I've talked about this before, but you don't go from Deshaun Watson to Trevor Lawrence. You go from Deshaun Watson to Kelly Bryant to Trevor Lawrence. You have a you have a, a somebody in the middle where there's a regression, and I think yeah. that's kind of what we're seeing at some places. We're seeing that at Clemson, where DJ Uyunglele is not as I mean, he's not Trevor Lawrence. The Trevor Lawrence's don't grow on trees. You know, you, you look at that, you see that at Oklahoma, where uh, Spencer Rattler isn't as good as everybody thought, or at least he's not playing that way right now. Well, right. Oklahoma went Baker Mayfield to Kyler Murray to Jalen Hurts. Mm. That's pretty dang good. Like you don't <laughs> keep hitting on that. Ohio mm. State is taking a step back um, with, with with your boy CJ Stroud because you don't follow a Justin Fields with another Justin Fields very often. It doesn't yeah. happen, yeah. and I think we're seeing that at a handful of the superpowers right now. And that's making them a little bit vulnerable because it's it's a game built around quarterbacks, and you're not going to keep hitting on them. You're just not. 
Yeah. Speaking of quarterbacks, I thought USF, although they played a miserable first half, they, they kind of battled in the second half um, at BYU. Timmy McLean is a dual threat. He's a true freshman, and I don't know um, how much you saw that game or even care to, but I I think they, they've made progress. I think he looked a little better controlling the line of scrimmage, and, and they got some things going. And you know what? I mean, maybe there's hope for Jeff Scott's team before it's over. There is. There is hope for Jeff Scott's team. Um, again, I'm not expecting them to make a run and win the, the, the AAC or anything right, like that. Right, 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 right. But, but when you, you have a young quarterback you can build around, that's half mm-hmm. the battle. And you know, yeah. what, what I saw from Timmy McLean in the spring, um, you could tell this guy is talented. I mean, shoot, Jeff Scott's compared him to, to Michael Vick in, in that type of ability. <laughs> wow. Um, and, yeah, he can move like that. He, there aren't a lot of quarterbacks I've seen that are that level of dynamic running ability. Um, the, the problem was the passing, and he he needs to clean that up and, and refine that. And he still does, but you take that raw athleticism and and you know you start getting him reps and and I mean look you kind of start building for the future. There's there's a risk associated with throwing him in too early because you don't want him to start seeing ghosts. But if right. you think he's ready, and and honestly the way he played against BYU. In a tough, you know, against a top twenty-five team on the road in the altitude and all that stuff makes me think, yeah, he's ready for this. Um, and sink or swim with him and let him start learning now to kind of set the foundation for the future when USF might have a chance to be uh, to be something more than what they are this year. Yeah, I was I was impressed. I think it's just time on task. I think he needs game reps, and I think the game is slowing down a bit for him and. He certainly got the leadership capabilities, and like I said, a, a tremendous uh, runner and thrower as a playmaker. So give him some time, and and hopefully build around that kid, and maybe they have something. All right, I wanted to ask you about some of these teams and some of these games we got coming up. I think there's some intriguing matchups. Actually, we talked about the Arkansas Razorbacks and whether or not they had a shot at A and M. Oh, they did, and they beat them. They upset them. The Jimbo Fishers went down to the Hogs. Now they maybe step up in class here. They've got Georgia, but Arkansas is kind of a kind of an awkward team to play. I mean, I I, I like Georgia. I think Georgia's a better football team. I'm intrigued by this game. It it is a very intriguing game. And you add in the fact that Sam Pittman was an assistant under Kirby at, at Georgia. So that's one of those games where there's probably not a lot of secrets there and just in mm-hmm. terms of what they do and and how they do things. So it's going to be more probably more about execution than anything else. Look, I've got Arkansas on my AP ballot as the number four team in the country. Oh, wow. Do I think Do I think they would beat every other team? No, I don't. But look, they beat Texas and they beat Texas A&M. And that's a better resume than just about anybody right now in terms of two solid wins. I, yeah. I think at some point, Arkansas is going to crash a little bit. Um, I don't think they're going to stay up there. I don't think that's sustainable for them this year. But look, I mean, uh, Traylon Burks, the receiver, he's a dude. Mm. He is a dude. And and Arkansas is physical. Um, You know, we saw that particularly against Texas when they kind of pushed him around a lot. But but Georgia just has so much talent. I mean, I I still think if I had to put money on somebody this year, I'd put it on Georgia because I think they're due. Um, But this is definitely not a gimme for, for the Bulldogs. This is going to be a very big test and probably the best test that Georgia has until, uh, until they play uh, the Gators in Jacksonville. Yeah. No, I, I, I like watching Georgia play. Their defense is terrific. Todd Munkin's doing a good job. 
the longer he has that quarterback uh, together, um, I think they're going to be good. Cincinnati is at Notre Dame, and I'll tell you, when you pass people like Canute Rockney uh, and you're the head coach at Notre Dame like Brian Kelly, that's really saying something, right? But they got a big win last week. Uh, Cincinnati's good. This is a this is a more more difficult game. I, I'm sure I heard Kelly on uh, Dan Patrick. He's certainly not taking it lightly. Uh, this is one of my favorite games of the weekend right here. They shouldn't take them lightly. They're a two-point underdog last I saw at home. Oh, is that right? Wow. Wow. And, and they should be. Look, I still don't you know give Notre Dame credit for, for being undefeated, but they barely beat a Florida State team that is not good. Yeah. They barely beat a Toledo team that is not particularly good. Yeah. Uh, Say it. I don't, they blasted Wisconsin, who I promise you is not good. <laughs> they're, they're, Notre Dame's lines, excuse me, their offensive line in particular, it's not great. And, and Notre yeah. Dame's not a program where they're going to have, the example I was going to use was Clemson-type receiver, although Clemson's receivers aren't good this year. Um, yeah. But they're not going to have elite skill on the outside that's not notre dame they're they're not going to yeah. have five-star receivers from miami up there right. so when notre dame is good they're going to ha- be good along the lines where they produce first round guards and first round tackles sure. and all this stuff so for them to not be particularly impressive along the offensive line to me is kind of a, a flashing warning sign here uh, about where where they are this year and you know maybe they can figure it out maybe they'll start figuring it out this week um but I just have concerns about the Irish and, and Cincinnati. Again, we talk, they're a team that is experienced. They're a team that is talented, not just by AAC standards. They're a very talented team. Um, they, they've won a lot here the last couple of years. They've got a good coach in Luke Fickle. Yeah, I, I would expect Cincinnati to win. And the way this is shaping up, maybe Cincinnati finds a way to squeak into the playoff. Where do you got the Bearcats in your rankings this week? I have them nine, um, just because the schedule hasn't been impressive, and they beat—I mean, they—they they beat an Indiana team that, unfortunately for Cincinnati, is not very good. But truthfully, four to thirteen, fourteen is all kind of a an absolute mess where I can make arguments for just about any of them. So yeah, yeah. Cincinnati's at nine on my ballot. I could go plus or minus three spots. Yeah, that's fair. All right, let's stay in the SEC. The uh, Fighting Lane Kiffins at Mississippi are going to go uh, to Alabama, and when these teams get together, some points are usually scored. Um, <laughs> what, what do you? I, I mean, I don't think Mississippi can take down Alabama, but I think it's going to be entertaining. <laughs> That's kind of the way I look at this. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit back, and uh, this one might be worth two popcorns right here. It, it definitely is worth two popcorns. Ole Miss can beat those guys. I'm just gonna say Literally. it. Wow. Um, Ole Miss can beat those guys. Matt mm. Corral is a very, very good quarterback. You know, yep. if I had to do a Heisman belt right now, he's probably he on it off the top okay. of my head. Um, okay. He's really, really good. And when you have a great quarterback, that helps a lot. Um, Lane yep. Kiffin knows how to put up points. Look, they they took Bama. They weren't as good last year, and they took Bama to the wire. Yeah, they um, did. I think they ended up yeah. losing by two scores, but they they traded mm-hmm. punches with them for fifty minutes or something, which is not something. I mean, aside from Florida, I don't think anybody played 
Bama as tough as Ole Miss did last year. And it's not so, a great Alabama defense, right? We saw what Florida was able to do, control the ball on them, run the ball, make some big plays. So this Alabama defense is not what Nick Saban's had in the past. Correct. So I Bama, – Bama could lose this game. I'm not Say saying it. that they – Upset special, Matt Baker's ups- iron iron stone cold lock right here. See, I, I wish I had my kids' gumption. My, my kids <laughs> obsessed with football, all, all okay. football, particularly college football. He, Maybe we should let him pick. Well, I I will. We we do predictions every week. He, he wants to predict so many games. We pick them on my phone. Last okay. week, he went undefeated in college. He what? Picked in, he picked. <laughs> wait, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, he picked NC State over Clemson. He picked Arkansas over A&M. And what was the wow. other upset that he picked? He picked one other upset that his old man foolishly did not. We're um, going to Vegas, baby. I So I wish, really, um, I wish I had his gumption to call it. I'm not going to call it, but I would not be surprised at all if if the fighting Kiffins found a way to knock off Bam. And shoot, we know Ole Miss has beaten Bam before. You know, they beat him back-to-back years. I yeah. Know it was, 14 and 15 and the 2015 year was the like year that the sky is falling for Alabama. Maybe the dynasty's weakening and all mm-hmm. they did was win the rest of their games and win the national championship with Jake Coker and Phoenix 45, 40 over Clemson. So I, it's yeah. Make sure you're watching this one. It'll be more entertaining. The game I am at the same window, Florida state Syracuse. Let's say it that way. Oh, you got the same. So you'll have one eye on Florida State, Syracuse, maybe one and a half, and then and then at least half an eye on this this old Miss game. I'll be, I'll be monitoring on Twitter. I'll be monitoring on Twitter. Now let me ask you: Do you do you ever go back and watch? You watch highlights. Do you go back and see some of these games that you have to miss because you're you're occupied otherwise. Well, I definitely watch highlights. Like when I'm doing yeah. my AP ballot Sunday morning, um, yeah. I've got my computer up. I'm looking through box scores and making sure all you know. I'm just making sure I got, I got everything and understand what happened. And I've yeah. got the um, college football final, I think, is the ESPN show. I've got that on. Um, I'm watching it with my kid, watching all the highlights. And I will go back and watch, and watch some of the, you know, the condensed versions of games that I miss. Um, yeah. That is particularly on, on YouTube. Not, I'm sure that's not legal, so don't call the feds <laughs> on me. But I, I will watch some of those just to get a feel for what did I miss. Um Especially like if it's a Florida or Florida State game, I'm not at. I want to know what happened yeah. with those, so I I do go back and watch some of those. Um, I'll, I'll I'll be monitoring uh, Ole Miss Louisville, and uh, depending on what happens, I might have to have my wife DVR that one. Wow. Well, I'll tell you, it's going to be another exciting week of college football. Matt Baker will be in Tallahassee for Florida State in Syracuse. It's October. And that means you'll be watching the leaves change up there. Maybe a little hint of fall. Maybe 60-degree weather at night. Wouldn't that be nice? Maybe, I don't know. I don't know what the dew point is in Tallahassee. It feels pretty good up here in North Tampa. But I think maybe fall is just upon us. This would be great. I, I, I went on my run the last three mornings, I think. And the temperature started with a 6. Whoa. Yeah. That's nice. It's beautiful. Nice. I, will, I yeah. will take it. I will take it. My, my times are dropping drastically. Well, and, and, and your miles will continue to go up. This is the time of year for college football, the time of year for Matt Baker to run those extra miles. So make sure you check him out on TampaBay.com and in the Tampa Bay Times. Thanks, Matt. Sure. Thanks, Rick. All right. My thanks to Matt Baker. Thanks for listening to us. Tomorrow we'll have what Tom Brady has to say uh, about his trip back to New England to play the Patriots in Gillette Stadium. 
will share that with us. Might have a chance to sit down and talk a little bit with Rob Gronkowski as well. We'll update you on the latest injuries, uh, particularly in the secondary, JPP, not practicing, of course. Um, Giovanni Bernard is out, so they got some guys. Antonio Brown's supposed to return today from the COVID list, so we'll look forward to maybe hearing from him as well. We'll see. But keep it right here. For Steve Erstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody.